You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. Yeah, is is probably the most rememberable line of his is uh, he just keeps saying, "Oh, it's this one," you know, this <laughs> this, uh, yes. this whatever par- universe or parallel um, timeline. Unless this is the timeline when he bursts through the door and shoots me right now yeah. in two seconds. <laughs> oh, that was a close one. Yeah. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell, especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6, this is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you. Lunar Max Prison, Boris the Animal. How did you know? You always had a taste for spiky bulba. Give us a minute, will you, Chief? We're in a situation. <sighs> yeah. I'll take the chloropod, you take the tyrannomy and the hydronium over there. I'll take whoever's in the kitchen and meet you on the street. This is a very confusing time in my life. And welcome to the sequel cast. Uh, I'm your host, Matt. Uh, sequel cast is a show where we talk about movies in a franchise, one movie at a time. And we're wrapping up our look at Men in Black this episode with a look at the latest film in the series, Men in Black 3. And we'll also talk a little bit about the cartoon and some of the video games and tabletop RPG stuff that came out. Men in Black 3 came out in uh, 2012, directed again by Barry Sonnenfeld, who has directed all three Men in Black films. Written by Eaton Cohen, not related to the Cohen Brothers directors in any way. And uh, starring Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, and Josh Brolin as a young Will Smith. Or, I'm sorry, Tommy Lee Jones. I messed that up. Music again by Danny Elfman. Cinematography by Bill Pope, who was a cinematographer on Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Um, so far, this movie seems to be doing pretty well, even though it's over a decade since Men in Black 2. Off a budget of $215 million. worldwide, it's made over half a billion dollars. With me is Thrasher. Howdy, Matt. I want to celebrate this milestone of the sequel cast. This is the most current film we've ever reviewed. Uh, absolutely, yes. It's uh, released after 2000, even. Yeah, no, we don't talk about current films very much on sequel cast. Still and, uh, in theaters. And it's also... Uh, uh, we have a very special guest, Stephen Jones. He's a listener fan of the sequel cast. Uh, we've tried to get him on. It's difficult to work out the schedules. So, of course, he is coming on the sequel cast fresh off of seeing Prometheus. And it's about uh, one in the morning his time in uh, England. So, Stephen Jones, welcome to the sequel cast. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. I don't know how special I am, but um, um, I'll take that. Thank you. Oh, well, you know, uh, you're our <laughs> second internet... Well. Yeah, I guess second international guest for the whole show, because we had on Maladin from the uh, sequen- Extra Sequential uh, Comic Book Podcast, was a guest in our Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World episode. And uh, I-, I think back for the show we did for the first Ninja Turtles movie, I got to talk briefly 
to um, the director of that Ninja Turtles movie, uh, Steve Barrington, I believe his name is. I should know that. I feel bad. Who, um, yeah, anyway, I had a chat with him very briefly, but he wasn't on for a whole show. So, again, welcome to the sequel cast. Uh, so how did you first hear about the sequel cast, Stephen? Um, well, the job I do, I get to listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, so it was one of them. I, I hmm. can't remember which one it was, to be honest, but I heard about it. Um, I can't remember what episode you were on when I first heard about it, but I didn't listen straight away. I went back and listened from the start, basically. Um, and then eventually caught up. And now I'm obviously listening whenever you uh, upload a show. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's hard to believe I've been doing the show a little bit over uh, two years, and we've almost done 100 episodes of Sequel Cast proper, and a little bit more than that when you count the special episodes and the commentary stuff. We're just, uh, we're just starting. So we certainly appreciate all our listeners, and statistically, uh, the most uh, downloads from Sequel Cast are from the United States, but then the runner-up is, uh, is the U.K., and then uh, past that, Australia. And I'm not quite sure why that's the case. It might just be because we talk about older movies that feature European actors a lot of the times. Like, I know Highlander is something we did recently that has a pretty big uh, European following compared to in the U.S., but I have no idea why we seem to do uh, better over there than in other countries. So, uh, Stephen, when is the first time you saw a Men in Black film? Was that the very first one? Yes, I saw the very first one. Um, I, don't, I must have been about nine years old, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure when. Um, and I just watched it in the cinema, but I mainly remember watching it on video um, mm. back at home. When you're kids, you watch films over and over again, <laughs> um, and that was one of them that I did, and I can virtually remember every line from it. Uh, I don't know what it was. Um Always remember Will Smith's orange tracksuit. Always want to wear them. <laughs> ne- never got one, though, thankfully. Now, looking back. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, that's when I first saw Men in Black. Thrasher, when you were a kid, was there a movie you watched over and over again on videotape? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. It was uh, Disney's Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Very nice. That's, uh, was that from the 50s originally or even older than that? I'm not sure. Uh, it would, I, think it, I think it was the 50s, although... Off the top of my head, unfortunately, I can't remember the date. But that I've always liked Alice in Wonderland. That's been one of my favorite renditions. And I think there was a summer where I did, when I was like maybe four or five, when I did watch it every day. I had a friend in high school who had watched the uh, original Star Wars trilogy, uh, meaning Star Wars A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. He watched that every weekend for five years. Uh, And although I like Star Wars, I never watched it that much myself, but... Uh, for in high school, I really liked the movie Shaft in Africa, and uh-huh. I, I would watch that at least once a month. And uh, <laughs> well, you said original Star Wars trilogy. Did they make more of those? Uh, there's a prequel trilogy that a lot of people um, <laughs> like to say don't count, like the fourth Indiana Jones: Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, which we cover on sequel cast. I do want to mention our theme song is by Mark with a C. You can check out his stuff at markwithac.com. Um, don't get me started on the prequels. All yeah, the, no. <laughs> That'll be for some episode uh, sometime down the line. But yeah, that's there's whole uh, whole websites, whole documentaries, uh, uh, countless things online and in print uh, about the Star Wars prequels. But we're here to talk about Men in Black 3, which in some ways is a partial time-traveling prequel in some sense. 
I don't know. What would you, I mean, what would you call this? Anytime you introduce time travel into a story, it gets kind of convoluted. Uh, my own stance is that if it's time travel, no matter how far into the past you go, it's never a prequel. Hmm. It's just, it's, it's a sequel, but it's out of sequence. Right. And, um, I think you look at the time between men in black three and men in black two, it's been a decade and Will Smith in particular hasn't made a film in, I think four or five years. The last real thing he was in was a, a, a drama, a dramatic film called something like seven pounds. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, was it good? It was actually. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. I'll be honest. I only watched it because it's my girlfriend's favorite movie. Mm, um, right. So um, I watched it, and that was it was quite good. Um, yeah, I, apparently, I'm not I'm not double check this, but apparently, um, the girl in it um, is the same girl that was in Men in Black Two. I think I'm pretty sure. Um, oh. What was her name? Uh, Rosario you know, Dawson. That's the one. Yeah, yep. I'm, yeah, that's the same girl. Do you think she's uh, attractive? No, no comment, no. <laughs> okay. No, no comment. Do you think your girlfriend's attractive? <laughs> yes, definitely. All right. Very good. That's the one that counts. Uh, that was a quiz. <laughs> I'm, not get, I'm not getting into trouble here. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> we'll send her an, a copy of this episode on audio cassette. Okay. <laughs> You're the post Proof. office. No. Um, right. So, yeah, Men in Black... Three, it took so long to be made. I, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed the film. I came in with kind of low expectations. I thought it felt even uh, felt a bit tired when they did Men in Black Two, but um, somehow they they keep things fresh. Uh, I, I think in the beginning of the movie, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, the character is a lot different. He's bitter. He's angry. He's a bit more violent, it seems, and uh, it, it changes the dynamic a bit between the two. In Men in Black 2, uh, Will Smith was the, the character, or the actor, you know, that was more burnt out and didn't want to do this. And in this third one, uh, Tommy Lee Jones just uh, seems angry, doesn't want to give any details about his past. With this alien, Boris the Animal, played by Jermaine Clement, uh, which some listeners might know from the HBO series Flight of the Concords. And um, he's acted in some independent films uh, since that uh, HBO series. Roger. Yeah, I gotta I gotta say, uh, Tommy Lee Jones does seem pretty weary in this film. Uh, I mean, it, it works for the character. I mean, the the character his character is supposed to have retired like what twenty years ago, but he's still doing <laughs> his job. Like it, it's I think it's it's one of those rare instances where an actor being reluctant to do a sequel actually helps with their performance. What did you think about Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black 3, Stephen? Um, I didn't think he was in it that much, to be honest. No? Um, he was in it enough, though. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed him in it. Um, one thing I did want to say about being old and whatnot, um, mm. you mentioned in the last episode that you were wondering if they'd say they were getting too old for this, um, and Will Smith actually did say that in this film, didn't he? he yeah, he did. He's... Um, so that's another sort of role reversal that, well, borrowing off Lethal Weapon, like you said, um, that Will Smith thinks he's getting a bit old for it as well. As well. Um, even though Will Smith himself, I didn't think, looked any different in this film as any other film that he's been. He just doesn't look like he's aged a day, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but whereas Tommy Lee Jones 
does look like his age. Uh, he looks <laughs> quite old, I thought. But uh, no, I enjoyed Tommy Lee Jones in it. Yeah, he, um, he was in it enough, like I say, not too much, but enough. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Stephen. Uh, you look especially under, and, and Tommy, not, it's not to pick on Tommy Lee Jones, but he, he's an old an older man now. And you look underneath his eyes, and, and those pits, those sacks underneath his eyes, uh, say volumes. But my wife thought the opposite. She, th- she swore up and down Tommy Lee Jones didn't look any older than a Men in Black 2, and she thought Will Smith looked older. And I think the reason why... Uh-huh. Is we happen to see this in a in a cinema with a digital projection, high definition, all these things, mm-hmm. and Will Smith has a mustache in this movie, as he does in most his movies, and you could see gray hairs in his mustache. Ah, right, right. And, and I didn't that, notice that. No. And that seemed to stick out to to her quite a bit. Uh, I do want to mention Jermaine Clement as Boris the Animal. Oh yeah, it is a neat return to. Um, the the bug uh, bad guy played by Vincent D'Onofrio in the first movie, where he's big, he's imposing, he's male, he's kind of threatening. And uh, I do want to single out, uh, Jermaine Clement did a really good performance in an obscure movie called Gentleman, Gentleman Broncos. Broncos. Uh, have you heard of this, Stephen? I have not, no. Okay, so uh, this is a, a follow-up movie from the directors of Napoleon Dynamite, and I did not much care for Napoleon Dynamite, but Gentleman Broncos is about a high school kid that writes a science fiction novel that is stolen by a rich science fiction author played by Jermaine Clement. And it's really bizarre because you get narration of the novel and you see what the novel looks like and they use costumes and monsters from what looks like the Flash Gordon movie from 1980. It's right. it's an extremely bizarre movie, but if you if you can go with its vibe for the whole film, it's enjoyable, otherwise you'll hate it. <laughs> and <laughs> so uh, it's a very peculiar recommend, but um, if you like the sequel cast, you might enjoy Gentleman Broncos. Uh, but um, what do you think, Stephen, about Boris the Alien as a bad guy in this one compared to Laura Flynn Boyle from Men in Black 2? Oh, definitely, definitely much better. Uh, <laughs> first thing I want to say about him is I don't, I, to be honest, I don't have a clue who the actor is who played him. I didn't, I didn't know the name when I heard it. But when I actually saw him on screen, I thought, oh, he looks familiar. I just mm. kept thinking, I know he had a lot of makeup on, obviously, but um, I just thought he looks familiar. But then when I saw the name, I didn't. I didn't have a clue who he was, to be honest. So I don't know where I got that from. Um, but I thought he was good, yes. Um, he, he just was a lot better than Men in Black 2, uh, bad yeah. guy, to be honest. Simple <laughs> as that. Uh, Thrasher, did you think all the business in Chinatown and stuff in the beginning of the film was a waste of time? Do you think it took a long time before they got to go back in time, which is a central conceit of the film? Um, the the best the best part about the stuff in Chinatown was you know, it, it it showed that there was it showed that there was still some action in Smith and Jones. You know, I I, I liked. I like that I got a chance to see them work in a more casual MIB case at the beginning of the film. I'm glad that we got a little bit of action uh, and a little bit of shtick, which was nice to keep the comedy momentum going. I do think it went on a little bit too long, and I also felt that when uh, you know, and I, in fact, I like that little moment of detective work where, where Jones is uh, pointing out that uh, that there's people who aren't eating in the restaurant. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like when the the violence actually started, 
One, I really felt they got really lazy with some of the aliens in the fight. I mean, mo- most of the aliens in the uh, in in the restaurant were just people with forehead appliques. And men in the previous installments in Men in Black have have really made an effort to make the aliens look truly alien. To have some people in a fight just be people with something extra on their forehead seemed really really lazy. Uh, then the other thing, though, I couldn't exactly tell why the aliens wanted to go into this kind of fight. I really wasn't sure what was at stake. I mean, if if all it was was aliens serving the wrong kind of meat, it's really more like a health code violation. I don't think that necessitates premeditated murder. Hmm. Um, Can I just jump in there? Yes, yeah, go ahead. The I, I took from it that the reason the all the the bad aliens, as for lack of a better term, were there was because basically it, it was a trap by the 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 main bad guy um, for for the men in black. That's where I got the impression. So they were all waiting there for for them to turn up. Basically. Well, that, actually, that's a good point. Hmm. That's the way I took it. That is a good point. Uh, it is also interesting to note, uh, there's no way of me confirming this because I can't hop in a plane to China, but reportedly the version of Men in Black 3 in China cuts out all the Chinatown sequences because the uh, communist Chinese government found it offensive. So, <laughs> I, have no I, way of prov- I have no way of proving if that's true. It's a hell of a story either way. But um, it's very interesting. I'm not sure if the movie would play better that way because you do get to remind yourself of the chemistry between these two characters even though Tommy Lee Jones as Agent K seems very very weary as the character and certainly looks pretty old although even when I saw Men in Black 1 way back when and whatever it was 97, uh, 98 whenever that one came out I thought Tommy Lee Jones looked older than his partner the old man with the mustache oh yeah when they put over the, The... um, the illegal aliens in the first film. Yeah. D. Agent D, very good. Yeah. And uh, you, Stephen, could be Agent UK, I think, if you were part of the... I'll take that. <laughs> okay, it's a terrible joke, but we'll keep on going. <laughs> um, so, speaking of the Chinese restaurant things, uh, Thrasher, have you ever been to England or Europe? Uh, yeah, I'm very happy to say I have. I've, okay. been, uh, I've been to Rome. Uh, I've oh, been to great. Venice. I've been to Scotland, and I have been uh, I have been to Great Britain. I've been to London. Uh, I sadly, I've only, I, I, when I was younger, I lived in South and Central America, and I, I spent a month in Tokyo uh, about six years ago with some friends. But so I've not been to England, but uh, Thrasher or Stephen, either of you, in Chinese restaurants in England, are they as weird as they come across in Men in Black 3? No. No? <laughs> I I only went to, like, Indian restaurants and pubs, so I, I yeah. have no idea. <laughs> My, uh, go on. Sorry. No. Uh, no. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> There's certainly no aliens in there anyway. <laughs> yeah. Although, i I got to ask, Matt, what do you mean by weird? Yeah, the only thing I that came to my mind, and to keep in mind, I've been drinking uh, this very strong herbal liqueur that's been on our shelf for about, uh, my wife and I's uh, liquor shelf for about two years. So I decided to fermenting. dive into that. Fermenting, yeah, for this special Men in Black 3 episode. Um, what I comes to mind is you go to some Chinese restaurants in the United States, and they have a menu that's like all in Chinese. And if you know how to speak Chinese, you can order strange things that are not on the regular menu in English. 
whether it's like bean curd or a whole fish bones and all, you know, served to you. So I've I've been to uh, restaurants like that actually. And I'm very fortunate. My younger brother uh, actually knows how to speak and read uh, Chinese. And so I've, I've gotten, I have had the chance to enjoy like special items on the menu. Very good. Uh, and, and, I mean, this is not the Chinese food cast. It's the sequel cast. <laughs> we're <laughs> so all hungry, though. Yeah, so we're talking about Men in Black 3. Um, before we go on more with the movie, did did we see this in 3D? Did we see this in 2D? What was the experience? 3D for me. Okay, 3D for yeah. me as well? Thrasher? Uh, 2D for me. Okay. Um I saw it in 3D, not really by choice. It just happened to be the time that worked out. I saw it with uh, my wife and my in-laws, her and my wife's family, her mom and dad. Uh, and with the newer 3D um, movie with the glasses and all those things, I think the 3D in Men in Black 3 was better than in some things like The Avengers or Thor, but it still gives me a headache after the end of it. I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Stephen, about 3D? We we went to see it purposely in 3D. Uh, okay. We wanted to see it, and I thought it was excellent. I've got to oh, admit, great. I don't know. Um, it's one of the best 3Ds I've seen, to be honest. Um, I don't know whether it's the cinema we go to at the moment, um, whether that's just getting better and better, or it's the films themselves getting better, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was really good, the 3D. Yeah, I think the film's getting better at it, especially filming more in the daylight than in the, in the darkness helps the 3D pop a bit more. Uh, when I saw Prometheus uh, this past weekend, I got to see it in 2D, and I was really kicking myself. Because yes, looking at all these sequences, <laughs> yeah, I, I might want to see it again in 3D. Because Ridley Scott, if nothing else, visually, uh, is a very accomplished director. Not to speak of his other films, uh, even things like Thelma and Louise or Legend or what what have you. And I, I wish... In fact, watching Prometheus, I teared up at a moment that was a special effect in which uh, the characters are on the main, uh, main section of the spaceship, and they're looking at a 3D pixelated representation of the caverns some of the characters mm-hmm. are exploring. And it was like, wow, this is what, uh, in my mind, it was like, this is what directors of the 80s wanted to do when you had this wireframe animation that was hand-drawn, that was very segmented. But you could do this very smooth, pixelated 3D revolving things, and oh, this guy's in this corridor, this guy's in that corridor. I don't know. I just I, found that very moving. I am so thrilled that Ridley Scott uh, was able to make that movie. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, it is so competently directed and makes such brilliant use of the effects technology that we now have. Right. Also, that, excellent. Oh, was it? Okay. I'll, I'll certainly yeah. have to see it again for 3D. Um, yeah, I and, would definitely. And we're not we're talking about uh, Men in Black Three, not Prometheus. <laughs> but well, if if we do the Alien series, we'll yes, do Prometheus. Absolutely, and uh, I'm not. I don't want to spoil anything, but I do want to say I'm very happy at the last thirty seconds of Prometheus. I think <laughs> they had to do that, and it was very rewarding. Uh, I think for the audience. So then again, on to Men in Black Three. Uh, so basically, it's a bit convoluted with the back-in-time thing, but part of the reason why Tommy Lee Jones as Agent K is acting so weird is this uh, this villain, Boris the Animal, is someone he faced in his youth as an agent of the Men in Black. And this uh, Boris the Animal escapes from a maximum security prison 
goes on back the to, moon. On the moon, goes back to Earth, travels back in time to kill uh, Agent K when he's younger, which allows his race to do a massive alien invasion of Earth in the year 2012, presumably. Well, that's that's the other thing, though, is that the, that he he's not just trying to travel back in time to get revenge. He not only has that motivation, but Ag- Agent K does something in the past which causes his race to go extinct. So he's also mm-hmm. he's fighting for the very existence of his entire people. Right. Yep. So it's you get a lot of exposition in those scenes at the shop at the electronic shop where they sell the time traveling things uh, machine and. Uh, May I, may I have a bit of a rant? Go on. Okay. Uh-oh. This this is one this is the one part of the movie that that really bothered me was the introduction of the way they handled the time travel technology because they you know after you know it, it, they the men in black realize that time travel has happened there's there's all this exposition about how uh, a scientist presumably a human scientist figured out how time travel works no other alien race had done that. Uh, the men in black stopped him rather than erase his memory, put him in jail on the moon, which is where he met Boris the animal somehow, even though Boris was in super solitary confinement and, you know, made and, you know, leaked to Boris that he had access to time travel technology. But then the men in black don't cap, don't, don't capture or destroy the time machine. They leave the time machines in the hands of the scientist stoner son and see, and don't see, it doesn't seem to occur to them that those time machines might get used by somebody. More importantly, he has two time machines. The scientist built two time machines and they left both in the hands of his stoner son. Could it not be the case though, that, the sun rebuilt them, maybe. I guess that's possible, but he the, the sun the sun did not seem particularly. He did not seem like the type of person that could build a functioning time machine. No, but the the dad who was on the prison, I got the impression that he gave the plans to Boris, and then he all you had to do was make it up. Easier said than done. But mm. and then the sun had similar plans, say. And he just made it up as well, maybe. That's why I, I thought it was all in the guy's head. I guess uh, he planned them or not. That, that's possible, but when, when the Men in Black made such a big deal about how they were able to get time travel outlawed throughout the universe, it just seemed like they wouldn't... It, it seems like they would go through the trouble of erasing two people's memories to make sure that the time machines didn't get rebuilt. Yeah, yeah, I, I can agree with that. <laughs> I suppose it's, I, I can give them that, though, also. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a, a story. <laughs> you I know, guess the I, other suspension thing of disbelief. Is, pardon? Suspension of disbelief. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, right, uh, the thing I wanted to mention on uh, the Sequelcast uh, Facebook page at facebook.com Sequelcast, and of course you can download all our episodes at Sequelcast.com or just look up Sequelcast on iTunes. That's what we call a plug, ladies and gentlemen. Probably mostly oh, yeah. gentlemen listening. Uh, I was talking to Sequelcast listener Glenn Hewitt, who is from Australia, and he was making a big point about how characters like Frank the Pug or Tony Shalhoub from the other films weren't in this movie. And I tracked down an interview with the director, Barry Sonnenfeld, and they said that was very much on purpose and that they felt like they needed to make things more fresh because it had been so many years since the last Men in Black film. Because otherwise, I could easily see the character played by Tony Shalhoub, the alien who gets his head blown off repeatedly in Men in Black 1 and 2, being the person with the time machine device in Men in Black 3. 
that being said, if that would have been the case, would that have been more satisfying than some fat stoner dude that we've never met before saying, oh, I got this thing, you can jump off a, a building and you go back in time, I think. Uh, I I would say so. I mean, if if you just say that the time machine is alien tech, say it's alien tech that Jeeves had, had, is fencing, I think that would have been a decent way to work his, a uh, decent and organic way to work his character uh, into the into the movie. Uh, I did. I I was acutely aware of the absence of Frank the Pug, but I like that there were references to Frank the Pug throughout the there movie. Was. There was that photograph in uh, in Will Smith's apartment, but also when they travel back in time to Coney Island, there's a billboard from the Freak Show, and one of the things in the Freak Show is a talking <laughs> dog, and, we, and it's a picture of a pug. <laughs> and and yet, when the movie was finished, the first thing uh, my wife and uh, her uh, my in laws complained about is where's Frank the Pug? And this specifically means a lot to them because they've owned pugs for generations in their families, and they were very offended uh, the pug was not in this movie. But uh, one weird thing about Frank the Pug, when I saw Men in Black 2, I rented the Blu-ray and watched it at home. Um, my wife and I have a puppy that's one year old that's a, a cross between a uh, a toy poodle and a Labrador. It's 20 pounds and looks really strange-looking. As soon as Frank the Pug went on the screen and started talking, our dog got very upset and started howling at the screen and barking. And and when we've watched other movies with big dogs on screen, it doesn't get upset. But the Pug talking English and uh, singing to Who Let the Dogs Out really made the dog upset. But uh, yeah, back to Men in Black 3. Like I agree with you, Thrasher. I think if Tony Shalhoub would have done a cameo, maybe he would have been the manager of the store. It would have been a nice uh, uh, throwback to the earlier films. And yet you're trying to get the story moving. You're trying to get him back in time, which is the conceit of the whole movie. I mean, you can make comparisons between Men in Black 3 and Austin Powers uh, 2, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Or I think in the in England it might have been called The Spy Who Shoinked Me or something. Is that no, true? No, no. No, no, no. No, it was called that, yeah. Okay. Nice. So, um, and uh, Ninja Turtles was called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. In the uh, cartoon in the in England, from what I've read, so that is the case. Yes, is it? Oh, I don't remember that. I obviously it, didn't pay any attention to the title. I just I, watched it. I think okay. it's the with the old series from the eighties, perhaps. But um, I don't know. I'm an American reading crap online. I don't know very much. Uh, well, well, actually, <laughs> no. I've actually held physical proof. Uh, I have an aunt who she, she's very she's very much into choir. And she's competed in uh, choir competitions, and there was a choir competition that ended up getting her, her and her choir group to it performing uh, in Great Britain. And while they were there, she bought a Teenage Mutant Hero turtle shirt uh, for my cousin Travis. So I've actually seen that shirt. Well, it wouldn't be the sequel cast without tangents, but as a character says in Star Wars A New Hope, stay on target. Uh, back to Men in Black 3. Uh, so they go back and so Will Smith goes back in time and uh, just when you run a, even though you've seen it in the I've seen it in the trailers you see Josh Brolin as a younger version of Tommy Lee Jones the performance is just astonishing oh god it's brilliant in what way I agree in what way Stephen it's just a dead ringer really isn't it yeah. <laughs> it just it sounds <laughs> exactly like it um, obviously there's only so far you can make him look like a younger Tommy Lee Jones, but uh, the voice I thought was excellent. Sounded just just spot on. 
It, it was it was real nice. I mean, it, it wasn't just an impression. He really did a nice sort of living, breathing performance of uh, yeah. for, for a young Tommy Lee Jones. It was really, it was just it was just a real thrill. And I, I got to admit, part of me thinks that I would have loved it even more if I had been surprised and and hadn't seen mm. that little snippet of him in the trailer. But at the same time, I think it was the perfect amount of young Tommy Lee Jones in the trailer. Right. I mean, I, I saw the trailer for Men in Black 3, I believe, when I saw Sherlock Holmes' two games of shadows in the theater or something. And uh, this girl in front of me screamed when Josh Brolin was on screen doing an accurate Tommy Lee, jo- Tommy Lee Jones impersonation. Huh. It, was, it was quite a thing to witness. But right, I mean, at a certain point watching this film, even though it's in the 70s and it's not Tommy Lee Jones playing the part... I would forget at times that it wasn't Tommy Lee Jones because it sounded so much like him. Not that it looked like him. And uh, Josh Brolin also did a really good uh, kind of performance that was an imitation in the Oliver Stone film W about George W. Bush as a president of the United States, which in and of itself, I think, was a kind of mediocre rambling film. But that performance, I think, is, is perhaps uh, worth the watch of the film to, to see that performance by Josh Brolin. And, uh, yeah, it's so, I mean, it, it certainly sells it. You can suspend your disbelief, as you said, Stephen, um, watching Josh Brolin as Tommy Lee Jones. And um, so what do you think of the, the humor of the film being set in 1969 and the time travel sequences? And did you miss um, Rip Torn in this, fo- in this film? Is that to me? Uh, sure, to any of you. Go, go okay. for it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did. I did miss him. To be honest, not yeah. not didn't make or break the film, but I was hoping he would he would be in it. Uh, obviously, but I did like the way they showed his face, didn't they? Uh, obviously, um, they did. There's the, it was the funeral uh, or sort of funeral. Um, I did enjoy that. So at least they didn't just forget about him, you know, and just uh, didn't mention him at all. It was, he did get a mention. Similar, like you were saying before, about Frank, uh, the, the pug. Yes. Um, they picked up a lot of things, I thought, from uh, the one and two, to be mm. honest. Um, yeah. What did you think, Thrasher? Did you cry when Rip Torn did not show up on screen doing karate kicks? I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't cry. Like I, re- I would have loved to have seen Rip Torn in this movie, but... I'm very satisfied with the way they handled him not being in the movie. You know, rather than just never commenting on it, I like that we got to see a memorial service. I like that there was that wall of that like wall of fallen agents. I really like the way they handled it, and I, I liked I, I liked the some of the character work and some of the shtick at the memorial service. I liked seeing the worms singing Amazing Grace. <laughs> I liked the 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 terrible eulogy. That, uh, yeah, <laughs> that Tommy Lee Jones delivers. No, I think that's I think that's a very great joke in Men in Black style. On that, Tommy Lee Jones is like, I've been I'm not going to try to imitate him because I failed on that in the Men in Black Two episode. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's that he says I've been working on this speech a long time, and it's a two sentence speech, and yet <laughs> that is so much what the character of Agent K is, uh, as played by Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin in these films. It gets that. Was... Yeah. Oh, go on. Oh no, I, I'm finished. Oh, I was just saying. I also love that bit where where the new the new head of MIB, uh, Agent O, who admittedly we've never seen in any of the previous movies. I kind of wish it was someone. It was someone that, that we were familiar with. That being said, I, I was satisfied with the character and the performance. Mm. But I love her little bit about like an, the alien ambassador. <laughs> 
you know, the quote from the alien ambassador. <laughs> she just makes those great comedy noises. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. I, I, I just loved Will Smith's reaction to Tommy Lee Jones's um, <laughs> yeah, eulogy as well. Yeah. I thought it was it's just his facial expressions. Um, <laughs> he was just excellent. <laughs> I uh, I do think that, um, yeah, I, what I'm not sure about is whether it was always planned to have Emma Thompson replace Rip Torn and to so have sort of a romantic interest in the flashback scenes. Or what I'm wondering is, in real life, Rip Torn, um, well, A, hasn't acted in a lot of movies because he's been a bit older in, in his years, which is, is fine. But he was, uh, maybe four or five years ago, he was found drunk unconscious sleeping inside of a bank in some part of the united states he broke into a bank and passed out from drinking too much and then woke up yeah we've all had those nights i believe (laughs) gentlemen but uh (laughs) so i mean i don't know if this was a way to write him out of the movie or you try to introduce some romance into the younger uh agent k experience i think it's more the latter than the former and who are we to know? I mean, we're, we're ultimately at sequel cast, uh, with, whether it's the host or the guest, we're just fans having an opinion on the movie. You don't have to agree with us. We might be an informed opinion, but ultimately the opinion that matters most is of you, the listener. And uh, you can send us your opinions on facebook.com slash sequelcast or email them to us at sequelcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's it with the plugs. More with the stuff. Well, uh, go on. Yes, uh, I have to disagree. Uh, I am the morning and the evening star. If I decree <laughs> that up is down, then so shall it be. All right. So according to Thrasher, up is down and uh, and down is up. And it no, feels I haven't like... decreed that yet. But when I do decree it, it will be so. All right. Very good. Um, so with the flashback sequences, did you think the things with... Uh... Oh, shit. I need to do my research. Uh, the the Andy Warhol scenes in the club, did that seem a bit forced or was that effective? I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Andy Warhol. And one thing that I've got to give them credit for, I was so pleased that they didn't just decree, oh, Andy Warhol is an alien. That's a real problem, you know, whether it's urban fantasy or like sci-fi comedy. Once you start to say that certain famous people are aliens or vampires or what have you, that really tends to snowball. And eventually you end up in a situation where the content, where the, 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 the subtext of the, of the, of the fiction seems to imply that humans are absolutely worthless. So I love that Andy Warhol wasn't an alien. He was an undercover MIB agent keeping track of alien supermodels. I thought that was funny. And I love the performance. The performance was fucking brilliant. Steven? Um, I'll be honest. I, it didn't bother me one bit, but um, I knew of the name Andy Warhol and mm-hmm. I knew he was a photographer and stuff but as for, apart from that I don't I don't really know a lot about it to be honest so it didn't bother me but it didn't it wasn't you know the best part of the film at all for me but um yeah it didn't bother me Yeah you know I honestly I don't know much about Andy Warhol myself although Thrasher and I went to the same art school uh, for undergrad for college Savannah College But I was paying attention yeah, art and design, and uh, as part of the program, they made you take a lot of art history courses. And uh, if you like Andy Warhol and that sort of period of history, uh, I would recommend a film called and I, I, I bet I'm mispronouncing this Thrasher Basquat. Bas- uh, Basquat, yeah. Okay, Basquat. 
about a, a paint an African American painter uh, played in the film by Jeffrey, a very young Jeffrey Wright, um, who who died at a young age. But David Bowie plays Andy Warhol in that film, and um, it's a really interesting look at kind of like a, a hip art scene in New York at the time, and has some good Tom Waits music. Uh, a really interesting film. But uh, yeah, back to Men in Black Three. Um, Actually, it's it, Leonard Cohen music. Well, but Tom Waits did a cover of a Leonard Cohen song. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah, which has been covered five million times, including in the film Watchmen, uh, where characters are having sex in a a, uh, a hot air balloon shaped like an owl shoots out flames during consummation. Oh, another thing to hate about that movie. Uh... Watchmen, yes. But also that song is in Shrek. Uh, you're right, uh, Shrek 1, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Maybe we'll do Shrek one day on the sequel cast. Who knows? Uh, but now it's Men in Black two, three. Oh, you know something I loved about Men in Black three? Yes. I, I love. I lo- you know I love the first film. You know all the little aliens and their and their business going on in the background of a lot of scenes, and I like that they brought that back for Men in Black three. But what I really loved is as when when uh, when Jay travels back in time into the sixties and he goes into MIB headquarters. All the aliens are 1960s pulp sci-fi aliens. I thought that was a great design touch. Right. You mentioned earlier that you thought some of the alien designs in the Chinatown sequence of Men in Black 3 looked a bit cheap-looking. Uh, and part of that was on purpose. Um, the um, costume designer for this, I believe it's Rick Baker. Is that correct, Lasher? Uh, yes, Rick Baker did do a good deal of this. Yeah, so, I mean, he's been the... the costume alien designer on all three men in black films and this time around he decided to make as many aliens as possible and just throw them into as many scenes as possible and to not create alien uh facial costumes with um remote remote controlled prosthetics to just do a mask and just do to shove more different alien designs into the film and so while they might not look as detailed as, say, uh, the thing in Men in Black 1 where the old man's face opens up and there's a little tiny alien inside his brain with a joystick, um, you have a lot more different alien designs throughout the whole film. And yeah, I agree, the, the, the retro designs of the aliens in the 1969 time period is quite the treat. Uh, I also really like the new character in Men in Black 3, uh, Griffin, played by Michael Stuhlbarg who I have not seen him in anything, but he's an alien that can um, detect multiple versions of what's going on in the same time period. Well, he he effectively, he has a sense which lets him perceive probability, so he is aware of possible futures and can see how they can converge into the actual present. Did you find Griffin obnoxious, Stephen? No, I really, enjoy, really enjoyed that character. Yeah. Uh, and he got the final line of the the film as well, uh, which oh, was yeah. nice. Um, oh yeah. I I just I've, the the tease that the fact that he was going to die. I thought every time he was on screen, I'm thinking, oh no, he's the, he's a goner, <laughs> and eventually um, he, he he survived the whole thing. So um, I was pleased to see that. Yeah, my my wife uh, watching the film with me, and she normally does not watch a movie with me when I watch it for the sequel cast. Um, not not an insult, just a just a fact, just a statement. Uh, <laughs> uh, she stated she thought it was Robin Williams for a lot of the time, and uh, Robin Williams from the past. Well, yes, but I could see Robin Williams playing that same sort of part. 
Yeah, I can uh, see. I can see that. Certainly, and uh, no, I, I agree. I think the character of Griffin is really interesting. He gave the movie uh, a lot of heart. Yeah, in it that it might not have had uh, otherwise. It was also just a good performance. Like I love the way he talks about converging timelines with with absolute conviction. I love that he plays it totally straight. Yeah, I love that he reacts to things that other characters can't sense. It's and I just and I also I love the way he dresses, but I love that it is never ever commented on that he's wearing yeah. like five layers of clothing. <laughs> and uh, originally, director Barry Sonnenfeld wanted a different uh, actor for the part, not even someone that was an actor. He wanted director Martin Scorsese to play that part huh. because uh, Martin Scorsese, who's directed things like Goodfellow or the more recent film uh, Hugo and uh, Raging Bull, all these classic things. Uh, he liked the fast way Martin Scorsese talked and thought he'd be great in the part, but Martin Scorsese couldn't clear out his schedule to play the part, and I think it would have been distracting for people that would recognize who Martin Scorsese was. So, yeah, no, Michael Stuhlbarg is uh, one of the best parts of the film, even though he's not in it too much, but he's a guy that gets captured in sort of a literal MacGuffin as far as a character that gets chased around. Yeah, is is probably the most rememberable line of his is uh, he just keeps saying oh it's this one you know this <laughs> this, uh, yes. this whatever universe or parallel um, timeline this, this is the timeline when he bursts through the door and shoots me right now yeah. in two seconds <laughs> oh that was a close one that yeah. and it's great because he makes you nervous just watching him he goes through every single possible possible uh, possibility of what might happen Possible possibility. That's not a phrase that should be used. But yeah. Um, and. Uh, Sorry. Go on. No, all, while we're in the. Still in the 60s. When, yes. As, you know, as soon as Will Smith comes back um, mm-hmm. into, the, into the 69, you know, when he steals the car. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the cops stop him, you know, pull him over. Yes. Did anyone. I, I don't know if I just missed something, but. He gets them to neuralize himself, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he does. you know, I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. And but <laughs> at one point, when, when they press the button on the neuralizer, he's not got the glasses on. And, right. And then as as soon as it cuts back to him, he's got glasses on. And I just wondered if I'd missed something or was that a really big like well mistake basically? No, you, you didn't or, miss it. That is a continuity. That is a continuity mistake because his hands—they're—they're they're restraining his hands behind yeah. his head, mm. and he does not have the glasses on when they start fiddling with the neuralizer. But when no. we cut back to him, yes, they're on. So either you know it's just you know a lazy bit of continuity, or it's just like a real quick gag um, to kind of that was maybe accomplished with sl- sleight of hand on his part. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it even. Sorry. Go on. Oh, go on, fresh now. Go on. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I was. <laughs> it, it, it does bring up something. Uh, if a neuralizer goes off behind you, aiming away from you, and you're facing away from it, do you really need to have the glasses on? I was just. I was just about to say. I'd have accepted. <laughs> the, I was accepted the fact that he was looking away. I wouldn't have minded, uh, and he just turned around with no glasses on. But then, he, as soon as he turned around, he had glasses on. He just couldn't quite. Um, I just thought it was a really, <laughs> as much as I liked the film, I, I thought that was a really obvious uh, continuity error that um, yeah. should have been picked up, really. 
I mean, these kind of things happen in movies all the time. Part of the reason for this might be Men in Black 3 uh, it cost an awful lot of money, $215 million, and that's not including, including advertising and distribution of film prints cost and all these things um, to make. And part of the reason for that is they had filmed a lot of the film and realized the script wasn't quite up to par, so they took a several-month break to redo the script and refilm a lot of scenes. And there is someone on set called a script supervisor who, among other things, is supposed to check for continuity. But, you know, people are human. They make mistakes. But I, I agree. I think that was, although I did not notice that until you just pointed it out, Stephen and Thrasher. Um, I, I do think that's a big gaffe. I do enjoy in the movie, though, how the neuralizer from the 1969 <laughs> is this unwieldy thing that wraps around the belt. And looks like a a, a thirteen inch dildo or something that you wave in front. It's not the cool little uh, little flashlight thing that they use in the newer films. Yeah. And it has to charge up and make modem noises. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, and uh, to add to that, it's something I did not get, but my wife Ivana uh, picked up on, who I wish would have been on for the show, but we just have very different work schedules. Is that uh, when they have, uh, when um, Will Smith and Josh Brolin have to travel super fast to get down to Cape Canaveral in Florida for the takeoff of the rocket ship, um, they have to put on these jetpacks. And I did not even notice the jetpacks were literally just sort of like engines strapped to their back. You didn't notice that? That's what a jetpack is, is an engine <laughs> strapped to your back. Uh, perhaps I'm a bit daft, but uh, I thought it was just... I, I don't know, sort of a retro design. I wasn't thinking of what it was based on. I thought, oh, wow, those look cheesy. Not thinking that the characters were in 1969. And, uh, you know, even had you seen science fiction films in 1960s, 1970s, they all the equipment would have looked that bulky. They look more like a, a desktop computer from 1997, not like an iPad or something, you know. Very big and thick, not, not thin and sexy looking. Awkward you know, that, silence. Okay. Well, I was just thinking that I I really liked I really liked the jetpack because one they did acknowledge all the impracticalities of actual jetpacks and two I liked how ridiculously big they were. Like I love that. Like it it makes that makes so much more sense to me as a jetpack than just like you know like something that Commando Cody uh, used to wear the Rocketeer. I love that it's just a big, powerful rocket engine like the kind that goes on NASA spacecraft. In this quarter, on the Greenlit Podcast Network, Chris Sims and Matt Wilson. And in this quarter, VHS oddities, confusing animation, and modern not-so-classics. Plus snacks, movie fighters. We watch movies and beat them up. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast covers the latest Nintendo news while also diving into what's hot in pop culture, music trivia, hands-on impressions, and so much more. Hopefully we can make you laugh, too. You'll find new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast on the Greenlit Podcast Network every single week. The other, Actually, the other thing about that, though, it, d- it did make me wonder. Surely the MIB have access to planes made from reverse-engineered alien technology or, or actual <laughs> spaceships. Yeah, I I thought that the well, I just took it that they must have had some sort of. I know they were like you say engines, but it it did look like it sort of had some sort of alien technology sort of helping it along. It, that's what I took it as anyway. 
Well, you could have even done a Star Trek transporter joke, although I guess that, I don't think that would have worked in Men in Black, perhaps. But yeah, it's, um, right, you know, they, the heroes have to get to where the climax of the film is, and you don't have to have a lot of time to explain it. So jetpacks work as well as anything. Yeah, I did like the way Will Smith also said, why don't we just use a little red button, you know, in the other cars, because he's going on about, in, you know, we have cars and yeah. that fly and all sorts, but I like, I like the way you the, uh, reference that as well. Uh, so there's the climax at the end. Did you ever feel that uh, Agent J and Agent K, played by Will Smith and Josh Brolin, were in danger? Did you feel threatened? Did you feel like, oh, everything's going to come out okay? I, I myself found some suspense and was really uh, taken aback by some of the plot twists that happened at the end of this film. And I think it's part of the reason why I enjoyed this movie uh, so much more than it would have been otherwise. It's not like Will Smith runs up, pushes a gun against uh, Animal Boris, the animal's head, and says, fuck you, and shoots him. Like, I mean, that's not Men in Black. That's a terrible idea. But that you, you have time travel involved in the, in the climax. I thought it was very interesting. No, I I enjoyed I enjoyed all that stuff going on at the end of the movie. I thought it was a I, I thought it was a nice uh, a nice tight ending. The only thing I didn't like about it is that it seemed to change the rules of time travel that they had established at the very end. I do want to say, even though it's been obvious before now, if you've been listening, I, I usually don't do spoiler warnings on sequel cast, but since we've been talking about a new movie, Men in Black Three. Uh, we're going to talk about the ending. I think it's necessary to talk about all things of a film to oh, really yeah. have an interesting discussion. Yeah. If it's about... titled MIB3, you yes. shouldn't really be listening to it if you've not, uh, no, I, I suppose if you've not. not seen the film. <laughs> if you've been spoiled so far, you might as well be spoiled for the last 15 minutes or so. Get uh, spoiled rotten. Stephen, what did you think about the sort of climax at Cape Canaveral in uh, Florida with the spaceship taking off and them having to attach a device that would prevent the invasion of the uh, alien uh, Boris the animal's alien race from the future. I com- abs- yeah, go on. I'm sorry. No, I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah. At one point, I, I I honestly thought that Jay Will Smith was was a goner. I thought mm. that's how they were going to end it. And to be honest, I wouldn't have minded that at all. Yeah, because the way they played it out was. Um, the reason Tommy Lee Jones is so uh, grumpy and whatever else is because something happened to him in the past. And I just thought, oh, the thing that's going to happen to him is that Agent J from the future is going to be the one that dies um, mm. and therefore makes him grumpy for the whole, you know, the rest of his life, wow. as it were. Um, but that just, that, that's what I thought was going to happen when I was sitting there watching it. And then obviously, it, do you want me to go into it? Do you want me to? Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah sure. but basically, in the end, obviously, it turns out that the general is um, who turns up. He just he does turn out up out of the blue, I must admit. But it turns up that he's his dad, uh, um, Jay's dad, and that's the reason that he's sort of grumpy all through his life is because he saw Jay's dad basically get killed, um, and then. Basically, looks presumably looks uh, looked after Jay throughout the the years. Presumably, um, not knowing because the the whole time travel um, the expressed at the beginning that if he gets it all right, Jay uh, sorry K 
won't remember that the future J has ever been there in the past. So K still goes through his life not knowing that that young lad, young Jay, um, is is his going to be his partner in the future. Uh, so presumably he still looks after him or looks o- looks over him anyway. And then eventually when he gets to MIB one, um, he recruits him, but not knowing that he's actually technically already met him um, mm, in the past. Yeah. So I really enjoyed really enjoyed all that. I thought I, I had to, I must admit I was on driving home from the cinema when I watched it. I was thinking about it a lot, trying to sort of work it all out in my head. But once I finally clicked, I I thought it was a flawless time travel story. To be honest, I thought mm. I couldn't think of anything that was wrong with it. You know, it all seemed to fall into into place. Uh, I really enjoy the moment at the end where it's the present day you know agent j and agent k where agent k is played by tommy lee jones did a josh brolin and they sort of had that moment where um agent will smith you know realized what happened and sort of says thank you and tommy lee jones shrugs it off he's like oh, I-, I was just doing my duty and he eats a piece of pie and that ties into the scene where they're eating pie earlier in the film in 1969 and yet you oh, always have pie. and you have those scenes of the diner of them eating pie throughout all the films you know, whether it's where Tommy Lee Jones is going to might neuralize Will Smith in the first one or, or whatever it is. And uh, I think that really adds a lot of emotional heft to the scene. The thing I was thinking is what if when uh, the younger Agent K in 1969, played by Josh Brolin, used the, neuroli- the neuralizer in the little kid Will Smith and told him, I'm your dad, would that have been too much? That would have been way too much. You think? Okay, I think it, it would have yeah. derailed the entire timeline. All right, and why would you do that? <laughs> well, it can't happen either because Men no. in Black. Um, that the first rule that he said was that you do not exist, so he couldn't right. have been his dad. Um, sure, because technically he doesn't exist, as all of them don't. So, hmm. so you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely wrong, and uh, thank you for pointing that out. That's. A great thing to do as a guest on the show is point out how one of the hosts is Ron. No, yeah, but no, I'm never coming back on this show. <laughs> oh, that, no, that's all right. You're invited Ban. anytime. You're invited anytime, <laughs> Mr. Stephen Jones. Um, but no, I think, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's a really neat way to tie the film up. And if they do a Men in Black Four, I imagine they'll they might have Will Smith's real life son, Jaden Smith, join the cast. I don't know if they'll bother with the Men in Black Four, but. Um, I- Cool. I really hope they don't. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I personally, I, I really like the way it wrapped everything up, and that would be a pretty good... I know Men in Black 2 isn't great, but I really think it's a good trilogy um, with this wrapping it up. Hmm. It certainly makes up for a lot of the sins of Men in Black 2. Uh, Thrasher, yeah. what did you think of Men in Black 3? I I really enjoyed it. It Not... not... I'll freely admit, I don't think it's quite as good as the first one, but it is very, very close. I Overall, I found the time travel very satisfying. I, I had a, several laugh-out-loud moments. I really loved the performances. I loved that they didn't really try to clobber us over the head with the 1960s setting. Like, they didn't... Because, like, you, in, in a lesser movie, to establish that they had traveled back in time to the 60s, like, I'm sure they would have showed nothing but Beatles posters everywhere and, like, hippies giving peace signs and just a lot of really lazy 
these signifiers. Instead, they just use some old fashioned, some old cars, and one small group of realistically portrayed hippies walking down the street. I do want to point out, as we mentioned in the Men in Black 2 episode, Thrasher, that Will Smith has been in an awful lot of science fiction films, more than one might think. And in fact, the next film that he's doing is one that stars him and his son, Jaden Smith, called After Earth. It'll be directed by uh, M. Night Shyamalan, uh, who did Sixth Sense and all those films. And But one of the writers on it is Gary Whitta, who used to be a uh, an editor of a PC Gamer magazine in the U.S. I'm not sure if he was on the staff of PC Gamer magazine in the U.K., where the magazine started to begin with. And um, But anyway, after Earth, uh, according to Wikipedia, the plot is a young man and his estranged father crash land their spaceship on Earth 1,000 years after it had been abandoned by mankind. The father is captured by a remaining Earth-dwelling colony, leaving his son to find and save him on a planet that is now a strange and dangerous place. So that's the next thing from Will Smith with uh, his son, Jaden Smith, where they play father and son. Um, that's going to be co-written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. So uh, it could be an interesting film. I'm not so sure, but anyway, shout out for that. Uh, so, uh, Stephen, do you have a little bit more time to be with us on the show, or do you have to get going to bed? No, no, I'll, no. I'll stick around. So. Okay, we have our, our segments, uh, pitch a sequel and what you're watching. But before that, let's do a little bit of uh, go around, and we'll sort of individually give a rating out of five stars of what we think of each film of the Men in Black trilogy. We'll start with Men in Black 1. Uh, the original Men in Black, I think, is a science fiction comedy uh, classic. It feels weird to say that, but this film did come out uh, 15 years ago, perhaps even a bit more, as of this recording in June 2012. Uh, it's funny. It's scary. It's exciting. It's everything a science fiction comedy wishes to be, but usually isn't. I give Men in Black 1 uh, 4.5 out of 5 stars. Thrasher. I'm going to I'm gonna have to agree with you. 4.5 stars. It, it was... It was a tremendously fun, investigative science fiction comedy. Amazing performances all around, some great gags, some great ideas. And it's just awesome to see a movie that's really to have so much fun with a relatively obscure piece of ufology. Stephen? Um, I know there's no such thing as a perfect movie, but I'm going to have to give it five out of five. Uh, Just... I think it's probably childhood memories and stuff, but I just absolutely loved watching that film as a kid. Um, so, yeah, five five out of five for me. Very good. Uh, Men in Black 2, uh, and if you want to catch out any of the past Men in Black episodes or any of our other episodes, you can do so at SequelCast.com or go to iTunes, look up SequelCast, or go to Facebook.com slash SequelCast. You can also go uh, download the Stitcher app on your smartphone, iPhone, what have you. Look up SequelCast or on Stitcher as well. Uh, okay, Men in Black 2. Um, I think it has some okay ideas, but it never quite pulls them off. I would give it two and a half stars out of five. Thrasher? I'm going to give it a half a star for effort, and it's not much effort. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Personally, I was really disappointed when I watched this the first time, which was probably when it came out. But I recently watched it uh, before, well, probably last week, a couple of weeks ago before I went to see MIB3. Um, and it really wasn't as bad as I seem to remember. Um, so I'm going to give it three stars. Uh, I just, I laughed out loud a few times and 
wasn't very long film, must admit, but uh, yeah, I'm going to give it three stars. Um, I I still enjoyed it um, as as a Men in Black film. Um, not as good, obviously, as the first one, but yeah, three stars. Men in Black Three, I think, is a surprising return to form from the time travel to the uh, comedy to even the bit of uh, emotional resonance at the end of the film. I think it's it's almost as good as the first film, not quite. I would give it four out of five stars. Thrasher. I'm gonna I'm gonna it's it's a very rare that we agree like this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give it four stars. There's there's only a, there's a handful of things that keep it from from getting the the same rating I gave the first film, particularly the fact that uh, Kay's original partner is completely absent throughout the entirety of this movie, <laughs> and I thought that was a grave omission. Um, but but yeah, I I had a really good time. It's not just good in comparison to Men in Black Two for me. It was legitimately good. I'm I'm going to agree with you both. Uh, four stars for me. Yeah. Um, can't. I really enjoyed it, but I can't give it as much as, as many stars as the first one, just because I remember it so fondly. Uh, but four stars for me. Yeah. Very good. Uh, now we're going to move into one of our two closing segments on sequel cast called, I'm losing my voice here. Um, <laughs> Pitch a sequel. Pitch a sequel. I'm so sorry. Thank you very much, Thrasher. Uh, in which we uh, try to come up with an idea individually for Men in Black 4, should one be made, or even a reboot. And, you know, It's pretty open to what we'll pitch out as an idea. So Hollywood, we know you're listening. Actually, you're probably not. Okay. Uh, my pitch for Men in Black 4 would be a uh, a prequel, but it would involve Will Smith's character as a, as a teenager growing up in Harlem, New York, and having some encounter with an alien as a teenager, and that way you could, con- you could continue Josh Brolin as uh, Agent K, trying to watch over this boy but not letting him know that he's there. And uh, I'm not sure if you could pull it off, but I think it'd be an interesting way to uh, do some continuity and do some pseudo, if not time travel stuff in a different time period than the other films to keep it oh. fresh. Thrasher. Well, would the, would the aliens besieging him in New York happen to look like the, the sticky bandits? <laughs> From Home Alone 2? Yeah. Um, I'm sure if you paid Joe Pesci enough money, you could put him in a, a nice prosthetic. All right, cool. Well, if I was going to pitch a sequel, um, uh, I'd call it uh, I'd call it uh, M- MIB Prime, and it wouldn't be a sequel so much as it would be a, a prequel that takes place between all the films because the movie is all about the scientist who invents the two time machines and all the trouble those two time machines cause for the Men in Black. You get to learn how devastating time travel can be. You get to learn how uh, uh, you know what the MIB had to do to make it illegal, but the uh, but you know you have uh, you have an alien who gets one of the time machines, and then Agent K who gets one of the time machines, and the alien is going to try to is going to try to set things up so that the Men in Black are never uh, are never formed, so that you know his you know so that you know his people the spared that is you know the political influence of Earth doesn't affect his people, and they can do whatever dastardly thing they want to do. But the catch is 
all the t- and so they're constantly the past is constantly being meddled with and constantly making changes so reality is shifting around all the people in the present day the present day for this film being the 1970s i'm just going to say since i figure the time machine was pro- i'll assume that's when the time machine was invented um so things are going to uh, things are going to build and get pretty crazy but it also turns out there's a race of aliens just as griffith can see probability there's a race of aliens that actually eats probability and all the time paradoxes that are being created by the time machine create a literal create a feeding frenzy for these aliens so these aliens start besieging earth but the climax of the film is going to be a cross-time chase sequence between the alien villain and Agent K, where they keep dropping in and out of different periods in history and keep doing and like you know keep trying to get up to and keep falling off of things to activate the time machine again. And they even go to several possible futures, including a future where the Earth has been wiped out by aliens, but also you know a future where humans and aliens coexist. You know the the future that they could build. Um, Steven, do you have an idea for a Men in Black 4? Yeah, um, I'll just try and quickly trying to think of one. Um, I personally think uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones wouldn't be in it, uh, but, however, I do think Kay would be. Mm. Uh, Josh Brolin, I think you could follow him, maybe, um, just on, you know, between, in the 70s, like, like Frasher said, um, Obviously, pick a partner, any partner, really. Oh, I suppose it would have to be D, really, I suppose. If you continuity uh, from them, I'd be one. Um, maybe go to the um, the circus that had Frank the Pug in. Um, find him, maybe, or, or rescue him from the circus or something like that. Not sure, but uh, I think it definitely have to take place around that time, really. I think these, these three films are pretty good with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, and they should sort of call it quits, really. Very good. Um, so we're going to wrap things up with our segment, uh, What You're Watching, where we talk about a piece of media, whether it be film, video game, book, whatever, that we've been enjoying the past week. Um, I will start. I had a chance to recently... Uh, I forgot what I was going to talk about. Oh, before we do that, I'm so sorry. Um, Thrasher, would you like to talk about the Men in Black cartoon for a moment? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, that was, uh, was one of my favorite cartoons back in the day. It was. Uh, it was why? Well, first, it was uh, it was a it was a pretty pretty faithful adaptation of the source material. It also, you know, had a great sense of humor. It was surprisingly well written. Also, and this was a very conscious choice. It didn't look like anything else on TV. They didn't go for a real generic animation style. Everything had a real angular, elongated, almost Peter Chung style to it. Hmm. It really helped the aliens look alien. Did you ever watch that show, Stephen? I did. Um, yeah. Being over here in the UK, I'm I'm not sure whether we 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 don't really get the stuff are from the US in a proper order as it's certainly in animation wise so I have no idea if they were meant to be in a particular order um, you know see like say episode 1 to 22 I could have watched them in any order 22 first probably I don't know um, but I do remember watching it and I did enjoy it yeah um, I couldn't really tell you much about it now to be honest uh, but yeah I do remember enjoying it quite a lot 
I uh, I only caught a few clips of it on YouTube myself. Uh, I do know in the uh, in the U.S. at least they only ever released the first season on DVD, and it was an exclusive to a, a chain of stores we have here called Target, which is a combination between a grocery store, a clothes store, and, a, and an electronic store, sort of an all-in-one, I guess uh, you might you might say. But um, it never had a really big release here in the U.S. But I mean, the show went on, I think, for what four seasons or something, right, Thrasher? Uh, I want to say there were only three production seasons, but it was on the air for it for uh, four at least four years. Yeah. Okay. Right. So. Um, Actually, t- two things that I do want to point out about that show. Yeah. One, they had a really great recurring villain in the form of uh, Alpha, a rogue MIB agent who was trying to achieve immortality by harvesting alien organs and tissue. Hmm, he was yeah. a great villain, a great foil. But two, they actually did a time travel episode. Uh, they, they had an episode where a, uh, a human uh, uh, UFO conspiracy theorist had gotten a hold of a, uh, of a time machine. I think it was an alien time machine that I think Jeeves had smuggled. And he's using that time machine to travel back. He finds out who, who are aliens, and he travels back in time to, to kill them when they arrive on Earth, uh, you know, thus you know, erasing them from history. And it's really neat because the, the episode functions. It's it's an allegory. It's it's all an allegory about about racism. Uh, but what's cool is that is that it is that his master plan in the long run is he's trying to find out when the Men in Black were founded so he can go back in time and prevent the Men in Black from existing. And it, it was pretty cool. It was one of two time travel episodes they did. I think the other time travel episode just some alien tech went haywire and they ended up traveling back to the old west. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, I'd like to catch more of it. I know you can see clips of it on YouTube and stuff. Uh, maybe it'll get an official release uh, when Men in Black 3 comes out on video and Blu-ray. Who knows? Mm. Um, so, so what you're watching to wrap up the show is one's running a bit long, which is fine. Uh, something I've been enjoying over the past week, I, I've spent a bit of time with this uh, Game of Thrones video game on the Xbox 360, and... Um, now, the graphics in the game itself are kind of dated. They remind me a bit of Dragon Age 1. It, uh, the, the, the story and the dialogue is pretty good as far as telling a different story parallel to season one of the TV series. Um, have you got to see Games of Thrones at all, Stephen or Thrasher? I have. It's fantastic. Yep, totally agree. Fant- yeah. In fact, it, it, it almost was going to be what I was watching. Uh, but... Yeah, I absolutely loved it. The The end of Series 2 um, was fantastic. I still need to see Series 2. I only ever read uh, the first book, which is very, very close to what they did in the first season. So um, I recently... Good job, I didn't just spoil it for you then. Okay, <laughs> very good. No, that's <laughs> that all right. close. <laughs> that's okay. Um, so, all right, so that would be my pick. I don't know if I'd recommend the video game, maybe when it goes on sale for the cheap, but... Uh, certainly the way the characters speak and all these things reminds me of the TV show, even though um, they didn't have the budget for uh, to be really impressive looking as far as the look and sound goes to it. Uh, Thrasher. Well, th- there's something pretty big that I've been reading, but I'm going to save that for the next episode because I'm still not finished with it. But the the one thing that I've been getting into, uh, as I started reading uh, one of the Redwall novels by uh, Brian Jacques, I hope I'm, I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Marvel Fox. It's it's just one of those things where it's a series that's been around for a while. And it really felt like something that, I'm, that I, I had a, uh, an urge to check out. 
And I just, I'm not very far into the book, uh, mainly because I've, I've been putting in such late nights that when I open the book to read before bed, I pass out after about half a page. But that being said, from what little I've, I've read of it, it is one of the most charming books I've ever read. Uh, have you heard of those before, Stephen? I've not, no. Uh, I, I read a few of those when I was younger. They're um, sort of like medieval fantasy novels, but they, they star uh, rats uh, and mice against evil foxes and and animals. I don't know. It's like a medieval well, it's, it's, animal fantasy thing, and they did a, a cartoon series of it briefly on TV. Right. Um, but I, I'm glad to hear that you like it. I, I recall liking it when I was younger. They did... Uh, several of those books, and some of which were like prequels and sequels and all these things. So, yeah, it, it, it's just been it's just been outright charming. I, I I find the characters to all be delightful. I I love the uh, descriptions. I love the little asides. It's it's very it's very rare that I read something that just makes me happy in a very sort of sweet, gentle way. Hmm. Um. There's a joke in there somewhere, but I can't think of one. Okay. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> uh, Steven, what is something you've been enjoying that you've been watching? Um, well, it's actually finished over with you in the US. Um, so Grimm. We're, oh, we yeah. Got, we've got that over here now. We're on about the 15th episode of, of uh, Out of 22. Um, it's one of them series that at the beginning I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. You know, um, seems quite interesting. And for me, it's just got better and better each episode and the one i'm just watching now um it seems to be getting a bit more into sort of a overall arc as it were um and it's just really giving a bit more background on the whole sort of creature um or vessel um world basically uh, but i'm really enjoying that at the moment uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Grimm. Uh, I, I live in Portland, Oregon in the United yes. States, and uh, they actually film it right here. And yep. uh, I've seen them shut down streets downtown, and uh, there, there's a specific sort of a fancy bar. It's a combination. Part of it's a bar, part of it's a French uh, restaurant um, that they film a lot of scenes in. And I'd like to, uh, I'd have to see more of the show to, to see what scenes they're filming there. But yeah, I, I know a, exactly what you're talking about. Is it? So it has yeah, a nice yeah. chandelier inside and all these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's pretty cool. I have to see more of it. It's very interesting how it combines uh, what is sort of like a cop uh, a cop show uh, with uh, sort of grim fairy tales and kind of spooky stuff in the woods. It, it, I find yeah. it, it's a lot more interesting combination than... Uh, over here, I'm not sure if it's reached the UK yet, but there's a show called, uh, I think, Once Upon a Time or something. We, yes, we, we've we got that as well. Uh, we're um, only on, I think, episode seven or six or something like that. And, and that one's enjoyable too, but it's a bit, a bit more traditional, I think. Um, yeah, that's actually on, unusually so, on terrestrial telly uh, oh, over okay. here in the, in the US, uh, UK. Uh, whereas Grimm is more... It's it's not a pay it's not a satellite channel, but it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's one of the newer channels if you know what I mean on on digital telly. Whereas, um, like I say, once upon a times on Channel Five, it's called, and that's basically one of the uh, one of the terrestrial channels that before all the digital sort of channels came out. 
Uh, one last thing I'd like to mention that I've been seeing is uh, uh, my wife and I recently uh, re-signed up for HBO again, and as part of that, we've been enjoying a show called Life's Too Short. Oh, um, yeah. With Ricky Gervais, we- Stephen Merchant, and Warwick Davis. Have you only just got that over there then? Uh, no, you know, it it came out on HBO, I think, about six months ago. But um, in the United right. States, uh, for HBO, first off, you have a cable subscription, and then you get HBO on top of that, so it's a bit uh, it's a bit expensive. But uh, right, but yeah, well, again, so I'm just watching it now for the first time. But I I have been enjoying uh, An Idiot Abroad and some of the other things. Right again, that life's too short. That's on um, ter- well, well, terrestrial TV at the oh, BBC okay. Two, um, like production, as it were. Um, but yeah, I've watched that. It was it was, uh, it was quite good. <laughs> It got a, quite a lot of, um, a lot of attention. Yes, some people were saying it wasn't very, uh, you know, politically correct. And but I suppose you mm. get that with a few, few of Ricky Gervais' projects, I suppose. But um, I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, knowing Wicket, uh, you know, <laughs> he, I, I knew him from that really, um, yeah. and Willow. Like, and they played that up a bit in a few of the episodes. I don't know if you've, how many you've seen, but. I've only seen the first one, but I guess one, right. one one last thing, and I mean this for good this time. I know it's terribly late where you are, Stephen, and we thank <laughs> you okay. very much for doing we the do show. We do thank you for coming on, though. Uh, absolutely, uh, anytime. Uh, there's a, a show uh, from a few years ago called The Incredibly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret, <laughs> um, starring an American comedian, David Cross, but it was a production with BBC, I think. And it's about an American gets assigned to work in England as a representative for an energy drink company. And he's set up to fail, and it's just a lot of very awkward situations. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny, but the show, the show uh, in the U.S. is very is on this very obscure channel called uh, Independent Film Channel. And um, had you heard, it, heard of it at all? No? I have not heard of it. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, but... Uh, it's a that, that that's worth checking out if you have a chance. It's it's a weird combination of British and American humor, but it gets the same thing from the Ricky Gervais uh, series, where you just feel so awkward wa- watching the person in these scenarios that you cringe. You yeah. want to you want to turn the TV off, but you can't because it's so funny. Uh, well, uh, Stephen, uh, thank you very much for being on the sequel cast. We greatly appreciate it. Yes, no. Thanks for having me. It's been good. Well, we'll certainly let you know when the show goes up. Should go up later uh, later this week. And uh, coming up next on the sequel cast, uh, we'll be doing a special episode on the Super Mario Brothers live action movie starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. We have been planning that for a while. We have been, and you know, what other movie do you get a uh, an actor from England and uh, a uh, uh, a Spanish actor playing two Italians? That's a very bizarre combination, indeed. Actually, I believe he's. Uh, I believe John Leguizamo's of Puerto Rican descent. You're you're correct. I'm so sorry. Right, uh, Puerto Puerto Rican, uh, and Bob Hoskins has been in such great things as Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I really liked him in a UK series, Pennies from Heaven, uh, from the '80s. He's also good in Brazil. Uh, yeah, so he's been uh, several tremendous things. Um, after that, we'll be doing a sequel commentary episode on Beverly Hills Cop Three, which is a, a truly hideous film. And uh, after that, we'll be doing several sequel cast episodes on the Muppets. So, we, uh, yes, yeah, several of those movies. Uh, and, cool. and to be clear, we'll be covering the theatrical ones, not the made-for-TV ones. 
because we're not going to do half a year of Muppet shows. <laughs> <laughs> we may, maybe we'll do a bonus episode. <laughs> we, we could down the line. Who knows? Uh, so thank you again, Stephen. Uh, so for the sequel cast, this is Matt and Thrasher. I'm Stephen. Saying, um, I wonder if this is the timeline where the show stops now. Okay, good. <laughs> thank you again. Good, good night. Thank you for having. Thank you for coming on. Yep. Thank you. Good luck with it. Good luck with your sequel cast. <laughs>